And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome in to Rates and Barrels. I am not Derek Van Riper. No, I am Chris Welsh. You hear me on Tuesdays, you're going to hear me through the way through. That over there, that's Eno Saris and Eno. We got a DVR baby coming. So I have yeah. and as Al is uh, stepped in. They are well. at the hospital right now. The weirdest part about having a baby, I think, especially the first one, it gets a little bit easier afterwards. But the first one, you're like, oh, my God, okay, go back. Like, oh, no, 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 we got to go. We got to go. And then you get to the hospital and you're like, oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like another 14 hours. I remember <laughs> for my son, uh, we got to the hospital. My, my wife was two weeks late, two weeks late. Oh, wow. So you're about to get induced. And we were in the hospital. We get there and it was 24 hours. And at some point it got so late. We had a camera on our dogs and our dogs had not been happy about it. It was about six in the morning. I drove home. I have never been as tired as I was <laughs> in that moment of driving to take care of our dogs. And I was like, I'm going to take a nap at home for a minute. And the terrifying, like, will I miss our kid? And I barely could sleep <laughs> and came back. And DVR is obviously not dealing with that. DVR is at the hospital. And hopefully we'll have uh, the baby Van Riper coming very soon. But the bat signal was called. And it is now just, it's you, me, and Al for the foreseeable future, you know, which uh, obviously everybody's going to feel comfortable because you are here as we do our best to try to, uh, you know, make everything rates and barrel-ish, if you will. Right? Yeah, but uh, in terms of uh, smooth sailing and keeping the ship going and creating rundowns and stuff, not my forte. Yeah. So. <laughs> so there might a be a little, little bit live by the seat of the pants. <laughs> yeah, so you guys might get a little bit more of a feel of uh, Al or myself, and I'll even yeah. be on the Monday episodes. But I am going to be on these Tuesday episodes moving forward. And the big thing about that is we're going to be talking about um, really, you know, the future of fantasy prospects, dynasty, all that type of stuff. We'll also be answering your questions, which there was an email set up. I think it's ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. If you guys do want to send in questions kind of as we go and move forward that we can access and we can bring on here. But you can find me on Twitter at is it the Welsh. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. And my dynasty ranks are live. Funny enough, the episode we did last week, you know, uh, I wasn't sure when it was going to happen. And then bam, like as the episode posted, uh, the ranks are up. So they've been live on The Athletic for just about a week. And I will tell you this, I don't know your experience with it. That is my first experience, obviously, with uh, publishing an athletic article. It was overwhelmingly positive. And I don't feel like that is the norm. Not to say that athletic subscribers are not wonderful people, but just posting anything like that into the world. It was overwhelmingly usually, usually positive. It starts a big battle. <laughs> <laughs> I made a post on there. I was like, I appreciate you guys not crushing my soul immediately <laughs> in there. But it was pretty overwhelmingly positive. And there is a top 400 up there for everybody. Have you had that experience? I mean, you're posting so much. I don't even know if you bother looking in the comment section anymore. I mean, it's healthy to do, but also 
you know, for our own mental health, maybe sometimes don't dig in. But you're you're a smart you're a smart guy, so you're probably it's probably a lot smoother sailing for you in the no, I, I you know I sometimes the pitching ranks can get uh, a little sticky uh, near the bottom. What I do is I get in there early. It's more positive early, <laughs> and then I exactly. get out before they come in and tell me how much of an idiot I am. <laughs> get, get the five or six athletic burner accounts. Hit the uh, thumbs up. Yeah, exactly. That's how we do it. That's the, that's Thanks, the you know, I mean. Bob, <laughs> <laughs> I like the bur- I like the Eno burner account idea. So today on the episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the dynasty ranks. We're gonna we've got some cool stuff. Funny enough, is we do have the last remnants of our uh, of our dear friend DVR before he goes on his leave here because he had kind of put together a pretty good rundown going through the dynasty. So we'll keep this. I've added a few things. We'll kind of keep talking through there. And uh, I don't want to get into strategy or anything, you know, but like we because t- we talked about it last week. But if there's any other thoughts you want to throw into it before we talk about the ranks, I posted in the article multiple things. First off, my one of my leading sentences was, I don't hate your team. I don't hate your prospects. I don't hate your favorite team. I don't hate any of those. This is just how I do it. And I also tried to lay out my rhythm of this. And my rhythm is three year window is how I attempt to associate this. I will be higher on some of the younger guys, even though they might not help. But I I took the approach of a three-year window when I put this together. And I know, like I said, we talked about it a little bit last week, but is there any other strategy things that you want to throw out um, as far as Dynasty goes? Because they're not all created equal. Even uh, the uh, Otano, I I just started one of those, you know, last week. Me and DVR started the Podcaster Leagues, the Otano Leagues. Otano, Otano. Yeah, I'm sorry, Otano. And, um, you know, those are created differently. I'm, I'm currently in a slow auction with those, but I am in kind of a win now mode. So is there any other dynasty stuff you want to attach to this before we start talking about players? Yeah, I think one of the hardest things to do is, um, I mean, obviously we'll get to the ranking a prospect, um, against, um, an actual major leaguer. That's, uh, that's really tough. And that's, that's something that happens, but that doesn't happen in the first i mean what you got corbin carroll at 24 but he's already hit the major league so where's the your first the first guy that has not hit the majors is jordan lawler Lawler at 45 there so you're john walker yeah yeah oh they're next to each other essentially yeah top 50 you have like you have 40 players that played in the major leagues first and uh i think other than like where do you put a walker versus actual major leaguers I I think it's fascinating to see this sort of glut of uh, mid-career but 30-year-old veterans uh, where you have Jose Ramirez, Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, and Mookie Betts on the back end of the top 10. You know, putting them against uh, somebody like Tatis uh, with his question marks. Even Witt, like there was a good, really good beginning for Witt, um, but just a question of you know, what's his position going forward? Um, how good is his, are his plate skills going to be going forward? Um, you know, if he's going to settle in around 300 OBP, that's, uh, I don't think he's going to be better than Jose Ramirez, Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, and Mookie Betts, right? Well, and but, that, that's the assumption that he doesn't actually improve. That That's the most difficult thing I think about this, especially with the first seasons that like Julio and Bobby Witt had was, yeah, there are a couple warts you're picking out like a wart specifically right there with Bobby Witt, but that's under the guise that like, this is not a player that wouldn't increasingly improve their game. And they would maybe, you know, continue exactly who they are or maybe stall. Jonathan India is someone that comes to mind when I think about like the Bobby Witt situation. That was a guy that had a phenomenal first year, you know, hitting over 20 homers, 10 stolen bases, 
and then he just tanked. And that's kind of the battle I think a lot of these like sophomores have. Bobby Witt specifically is like which side of that's going to go. And in a three-year window, Bobby Witt versus Jose Ramirez is close and tough. And I actually kind of think it's a tier. When I look at this, when I look at my top, let's say, uh, uh, really 12, uh, 13, you know, top 13 of my dynasty, I think that is a big clump. And if you wanted to adjust it for the most part, I think you can. I, I'm, I'm personally I'm probably a little bit more stringent about like maybe my top five being that order. And then after that, it's kind of a clump where you're like, hey, listen, I want position scarcity with Jose Ramirez and the stolen bases. I trust that more than, uh, you know, potentially some of the bat skills of Bobby Witt. Except Bobby Witt's 22. So by the time Jose Ramirez is 33, 34, Bobby Witt is getting into the prime of his career. That's yeah. a, a battle of these dynasty ranks and especially that first round. Yeah. You know, there's some aging curves that uh, I've seen that suggest that uh, players don't improve anymore as a group. Like, I'm not saying no player, young player gets to major leagues and doesn't improve. Aging curves sort of suggest that there's more of like a plateau to 26, 28 and then just going down. And there could be uh, some kind of change in the way baseball works that would speak to that, which is maybe we're getting better at player development and better at scouting and better at um you know putting players in the in the right at, at the right time so there, there isn't that much more uh improvement that they have to do they just sort of like are their athletic best you know when they get in there like if you think about sprinters um sprinters can hit their top speeds uh you know in their long, young 20s you know so athletically um your your peak is sort of the mid 20s um, and, uh, but baseball has these learned skills, right? These learned skills like plate discipline or like, uh, shape appreciation in terms of like, oh, I know what this curveball looks like. I know what these sliders look like picking up different pitches, uh, knowing how pitchers are trying to pitch you, uh, all these sort of game skills that, uh, I think they push, um, a player's peak later because you're, as you're playing, you're accruing these game skills and your athleticism is going down but your learned knowledge is going up. And so there's this relationship between the two. So I think Bobby Witt in particular, uh, there seems to be like something that can improve there, which is just, you know, in terms of not chasing as much and, and, and uh, maybe being a little bit more patient to kind of add that average in OBP to, uh, to what already seems like really good sort of athleticism. Well, like what you're saying is maybe, Maybe this is something that's a battle between these two, where if you're talking about an age curve, the most likely piece of athleticism that's going to go on the age curve is the speed. And that's something that long term projecting, like even if I'm looking at this list, I'm trying to find like there's a lot of guys that have had some solid stolen base numbers. But once they once they hit those 30s, what's going to happen? We've already seen oh, this, you know, that's I think that's why you got like Turner and Betts down there at 1113 because and Trout. You know, if, if Turner, steal, like I know that the rules, the rules change is a real big question mark for this year. But if Turner steals like 20 bags this year and hits 15 homers and is 31 going into next year, I think this ranking will look completely right. Yeah, well, I mean, and look at Whit Merrifield. That's another one of those that was high oh, numbers man. as the age comes. They come, but but that's kind of my point. If you come back to the Jose Ramirez versus Bobby Witt situation, Jose Ramirez is hitting his 30 year old season and he's been stealing bases. If the athleticism does start to tinker down, you're dealing with Bobby Witt's plate improvement and skill set improvement as far as the bat goes versus a potential decline in athleticism at 30 years old plus for guys like Jose Ramirez. So which side would you want to go on as Ramirez gets older? Again, there's not a necessarily a wrong answer because like as I am trying to build a dynasty league, 
I want win now, guys. I want to win now as best as I possibly can. Um, I just took Bryce Harper uh, in the in that dynasty. I was telling you about the. I always screw up the name. What is the history behind uh, Otno? Uh, Otano? I think it's Otno. I call it Otno. Yeah, but I don't, I'm not I don't, really somebody to to ask about pronunciation. But Otno. Yeah, I, I mean, know. It, I, it's like a German name, so it'd be Otto Neu, but that's nobody says it that way. So I mean, I think we should say know. it that way. That should be the way. <laughs> Otto Neu, we should say. It. But like <laughs> <laughs> in the auction, I just took him, uh, but because I got an insane Which deal one? on Who? him, uh, Bryce Harper. I took Bryce Harper. Oh, right. At uh, I got him at like twenty six bucks in a startup yeah. dynasty, which was like a phenomenal deal. That is, it's a win now piece with plus it's maybe a forty man roster money. there where like you can at twelve team forty man roster you can probably just do some sort of outfield platoon until he comes back. So oh, yeah, well I mean I I did the crazy stuff. I also took Buxton, which no one's going to be surprised about. Uh, also Ooh. got Luis Robert, <laughs> so I there mean I've go. got volatility through the roof yeah. in the dynasty, but. But yeah, the declining skill thing is like, it's a really interesting battle. And if you notice, like inside the top 25 of mine, I only have two players that are over 30 years old, They're like not 30, but 31 or higher. And it's Mike Trout and Freddie Freeman. And those are at this point, you know, built in, you're not going around uh, speed, you're just going around bat to ball skills, and you're going around, you know, four categories, which both of those play for you. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing in there. And it's an interesting dynamic of battling the young guys versus the old guys in dynasty that everyone has to come to terms with. You know what, let me ask you this in the top 15. Let's assume it's like Roto. What do you hate the most? Like who's the, the rank you hate the most of my top 15? And then to feel make me feel better, pick one that you love. Um, I think I, I, uh, okay. The, the names that, hurt. no, the, yeah, it's, it, it seems mostly fine. And it's also hard in, in the top 15, you're picking the nets. You're talking about like one or two spots and that's the big yeah. deal because it's top 15. Um, I think Turner, uh, below Jose Ramirez. Um, I'm not so sure about that because even though we had that whole conversation about speed and everything, Turner is still elite in speed. He's 95, 95th percentile in sprint speed. Um, so I don't think it's going to drop off that fast. And when I, and I, and I have a little bit of a bias when I look at Jose Ramirez, I think. <laughs> like I think we all age, do. Well. Yeah, 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 yeah. The body just doesn't seem to sometimes match the continued, uh, return. Like this barrel chested dude. He looks <laughs> slow. I, I he's not slow, but he looks slow. It's a very strange thing. Uh, so yeah. I don't know if that's just a bias, uh, Kyle Tucker. Um, I think, I think he just has the potential to uh change this list because we're we're heading into this year with the with the the shift rules he gets shifted a lot and um he's 26 so he's this is like prime peak year situation um so i think if he just if he goes like 330 30 this year which is not at all impossible like you know it's not even that far off from his projections so if he goes 330 30 this year i think he uh, and, and Tatis comes back and is not quite what he was, or if Witt doesn't take a step forward, or Vlad uh, is like, no, I'm just going to hit 300 with like 25 homers every year and, and not get that sort of 30, 35 level again. Um, I think Tucker could uh, swim move past some of them. Yeah, I think four is kind of his spot where he could go. I'd also point out something I had to mark on here is what I presented to everybody was a daily moves list and that is why Shohei Otani's number one because if mm-hmm. you're in a daily moves league 
it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. Like, I don't have to have any other analysis. It doesn't matter. Shohei Otani is two elite players. He's number one. There's, it's end of discussion. Right. But if he is two players, which is so silly, or he is one player in a weekly format that you change, I also gave you the rank on the dynasty list. And that would move him down. And that would inherently move a lot of these players up. It would move Tucker up a spot. That's right. That's right. It would yeah. move everybody up one because spot. Because Shohei Otani, the bat, is not a top 10 prospect i don't think i mean util only it's close i have him right there the util only is the thing that like when you're talking about uh turner versus ramirez ramirez at the, about the same age has a little like little added gimme for the third base so if you're talking about position scarcity and but stuff, i can that, see you putting otani ahead of those old guys yeah but that's like, where right, right around jordan alvarez and stuff one, yeah. one thing that's also interesting to me about Jordan Alvarez is the knees apparently aren't that great. Yeah, well, at 25 years old, he's already had multiple like multiple issues with it. And, you know, when you look at this list, too, like the injury guys, the injury worries in this top 12 are Alvarez, Tatis Jr. And I think that's really it when you look at those two. And those are two very popular names, two sub 25 year old guys. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, that's a good point. And those are three twenty-five or younger players that already have some injury issues. Alvarez is probably that's weird because the most concerned. also your injury outcomes are better if you have it young. You yeah, know what I mean? like yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, like the, the earlier pitchers. Yeah, Labrum and yeah. So um, I like your rankings. Uh, I like your ranking of Boba Shett, um, because I think it must have been tempting to put him higher. And you know, he's twenty-five years old, uh, power and speed, um, but. Uh, the speed is not elite. Uh, the power isn't elite. Um, the hit tool might be elite, uh, but I also see him as someone that may have to move off the position. Not now, but in the three-year window, 28 years old, probably not then either. But he might be one of those people that when they sign their first free agent contract, it is not to be a shortstop. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What um, did you see the report that he said he wants? It's a concerted effort to run a ton more this year. That was like statements, I think, when he first came to camp. Uh, camps haven't like officially opened. Uh, they're going to be opening up on Wednesday. Not every single player is going to report, but literally his first words out of his mouth were he wants to run more. I mean, is that I know that's the best shape of our life type of thing we're getting into. Everybody wants to hit more and throw faster and run. But like, is that something you think Bo Bichette he can could do? theoretically benefit more from these rules than anybody because he's obviously sort of right where the you, you shouldn't run. <laughs> like yeah. last year, he got caught so often. You'd be, you know, as a coach, you're like, yo. 
But also the team like didn't run. (laughs) That was my worry with uh, that team as well. Like I think they were bottom 10 in the league. They were 10th, I think, from the bottom in stolen base attempts last year. Uh, I I know know that because I've talked a lot about like Varsho versus, uh, you know, Arizona going to Toronto and Arizona was like top five in the league. I just worry about that team when you have those type of bats, the necessity they feel to want to run. And I I feel like as these prime players are getting older, the need or the press for that team to want to steal is becoming less. It's just the the elephant in the room is what is the bases coming in? What is that four and a half inches of extra room you have from first to second? What is that going to do to coaches? Do they see the advantage and will they take advantage? Have you talked to anybody yet about uh, any type of scheme with that? Is anybody going to be attempting to go like take it like like that is an advantage? Do teams acknowledge that that's a new advantage that they might want to go with? Or yeah, I've got uh, an interview with uh, Stephen Vote uh, that's going to publish this Friday on this feed uh, where we talked a lot about what it was like from uh, the catching standpoint what uh what it was like to be a a catcher throwing people out and who he thought uh might take off more often so i think that that we kind of agreed that it's going to be a little bit more of these people that are tweeners these guys who had three four five stolen bases before uh maybe even a a bobachette where he you know he he did get uh i think 10 stolen bases but he got caught a few times like too many times so like maybe that will affect those guys but one of the ways that we can tell the the earliest um, is that actually uh, just attempt rates by team in spring training are have have signal in them? They're interesting. They mean something. Oh, okay. That's something. So, so just if you see a team that's like taking off a lot, that you can then you can sort of mark everybody up. And and the, one of the teams that I think I'd be watching very closely is the Oakland A's because uh, they've got Asturi Ruiz, Ramon Laureano, um, you know, even somebody like Nick Allen. They've got young guys in a lot of places. Um, and they could also be benefit from a little YOLO, you know, like, like what, what else they really got going for them? It's not going to be a really good team. So maybe they could be the go, go A's. So yeah. Tony um, Kemp, Tony Kemp in there as well. Is, is that the almost Marlins might be a team that, that I think about because they're also young, but they're also singles hitting. So maybe they'll have to push the, the go button a lot to turn those singles into doubles. I mean, they're, they, they've got a bunch of second basemen who hit singles. Like maybe all of them are going to, you know, go 10, 20, you know, 280, 10, 20. Maybe they just want a whole team of Jean Zagura. Which would be, which would be amazing. <laughs> that kind of reminds me like what the Diamondbacks did last year with like, so uh, they were not typically a running team, but Rojas and McCarthy then all of a sudden go 20 plus. And it was like, it's just a younger, more athletic team that wasn't finding the bat outside of Christian Walker. I mean, I guess Varsho as well, but you know, I don't know if you want to call it like manufacturing runs or anything like that, but you want to put yourself in the best position. The, the A's are interested. And I think that's why like history Ruiz, you know, he's on this dynasty list. He's actually one of the most difficult prospect versus dynasty guys for me because I, his prospect prowess has kind of dropped. I think a little, at least in my eyes, this is a guy that I used to love and tout before anybody liked him. And then he fell off and he came back, but his like one year perceived value in dynasty or even two is much higher than the long-term prospect value of him because it's like if he's going to steal 40 bases this year for the A's that value is so much higher than what we would go as like a full potential because he's not a five-tool player he looked like a five-tool player I watched him when he was with the Royals and he got traded to the Padres thank you I got some pushback because I was talking about his uh hard hit rate and somebody's like well you did you take the did you take the the bunts out I'm like yo 
I could take all the bunts out of his exit velocity numbers and he would still not be a guy who hits the ball that hard. Well, and and, the, and he hasn't hit the ball hard since he was here in complex. He was crushing the ball when he was here. It was like mini Alfonso Soriano that people would see the swing very wide open. Uh, it, it it had a path similar to Soriano and he was hitting doubles like crazy against the wall, but it just never materialized after that. It's really poor pitching that was out here. But like I've watched that guy since, you know, he was first stateside and the bat has just kind of regressed outside of last year where it just took off. But, you know, again, his one year value is just amazing. All right. So. Talking about these, uh, so, the dynasty so it's list. like an Ender Inciarte comp is not like a crazy idea. No, I don't think so. Like, if he ended up hitting fifteen plus, I would not be shocked for the guy that I saw in the complex. What I would be shocked about is the path that he took. The contact rate just got worse, and it seemed like it was he was no longer trying to, you know, trying to hit for the fences. He was just trying to get the bat on the ball to get on base. So he could take advantage there. Like he's no longer more of a power, like a power swinger. But than if he's he going to be that guy, then he needs to have better than a 20% strikeout rate. You know? yeah, and that's his problem. I mean, I think it was like 30, 30 plus at, at many points in the minor league. So, I mean, it's, it's all these convoluted skill sets that you have to like taper down. It actually reminds me similar of like a, a pitcher that can throw a hundred, but they can't hit the broad side of a barn. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> you've got to taper it down. You got to find your sweet spot. And I felt like he had to find his sweet spot, who he was as a hitter, because when he was a power hitter, he was swinging through everything. I'm and fascinated that you have Jordan Lawler ahead of Jordan Walker. Um, the only sort of negative I have on Lawler is just that uh, he's had labrum surgery. A lot of the Diamondbacks have. I mean, Carol yeah, Carol had a, a similar. I think it was a similar shoulder injury and surgery, but came back like game but game busters. Um, so in the and NFL, and Lawler also had a down year after his. But but Jordan Lawler had a phenomenal year last year, and was you, so you guys didn't get to see it um, when you came out here for first pitch, which was unfortunate because. Lawler got hurt again, which is kind of a stinker and doesn't really help my argument. I would acknowledge there's probably like a little bit of homerism in it. I think these guys are next to each other. And from the perspective of like getting value now, Jordan Walker is slightly more valuable. But Lawler just came off of a 2022 where he had 16 homers, 39 stolen bases while hitting over 300. He was a 345 slash guy, 303 average, 401 OBP. He comes out to the Arizona Fall League that you guys didn't get to see. He was hands down the best player in the Arizona Fall League to start. It was hits every day, multiple homers. Actually, if people want to check it, I have a funny homer he had in the um, in the AFL where he didn't think he got it, and he kind of threw his bat down all pissed, and he did, and I, I kind of yelled to him after. <clears throat> you can see some of that homer power, but he was stealing bases at an aggressive clip. He was making all the contact in the world, and that was on You're a team that had... not worried about how bad he looked in double A? Um. I mean, I'm, I'm not from a, like, this is what the development is like one level yeah. struggle to me. Isn't the be all end all, especially as these guys get pushed. That was an aggressive assignment that the, that the Diamondbacks 20 years put old, on Jordan yeah. yeah. Well, but also think of the injury, think of the missed time with the injury and then this yeah. aggressive assignment where they push him and they pushed him three to levels AFL. in one year too. three levels, levels in one year is this big marker for year. me with going with the AFL. No, I'm going to look at the totality of, of his development through. And he came to the AFL and he was a monster. But you can look at Jordan uh, Jordan Walker and you can see who he started off slow. He moved multiple levels, stole more. But he's six foot five, 220 plus. He stole more bases than he hit homers last year, which is absurd to think about. And that's where those like 
Julio Rodriguez comps start to come in for a lot of people because there's big power, there's big stolen bases from a big bodied guy who's going to play in the outfield now that I think these guys are one, a one B I would say like, I have them literally within two spots of each other. So they're yeah, both yeah, inside the top big, 50. Yeah. But you know, like I, I, I just chose to keep Noel V. Marte and Ellie De La Cruz and trade away Jordan Lawler in Autonew. Um, okay. so, uh, this is making me regret that decision. Noel, yeah, um, Noel is not someone I feel the best yeah. about after watching a lot of him over the last couple of years. I don't know that I could have gotten the same deal for Noel V. So th that's, that's part of why I traded him is because I got more for Jordan, but getting but Ellie I, in that is huge. No, I had Ellie. Uh, so oh, yeah. the question, the question for me was, was trade Ellie to the cruiser or Jordan Lawler for, you know, for reinforcements, you know? Oh, yeah. so you traded Jordan Lawler, Jordan Lawler away Noel and v. kept no, I I I had Noel V, Jordan Lawler, and Elliot Cruz on my team. Gotcha. And I was Who's choosing who first? to trade. Now gotcha. trading away Noel V probably wouldn't have, you know, gotten me what I got. So no. it was really the choice was between Jordan Lawler and Elliot Cruz. Where do you have Ellie? I mean, Ellie is amazing because I think uh if there's any sort of variability when it comes to Jordan, Ellie's like through the roof when it comes to uh, you know what he could be he could be all or nothing like he well, could be amazing or he could not be a major leaguer with the contact and walk rates he has and, and i have him high i've got him at 57 and that you know again like the thing that's going to rub people the the wrong way with dynasty are two things it's older players being pushed down you have him ahead of nolan arnado what? What? what what and then the young guys being moved up and the obvious argument if they have no professional time but you know in dynasty you are looking for the next big guy. You know, last year doing a start of Dynasty, taking Julio Rodriguez would have had the same, I'm not saying that Ellie or Jordan Walker will be that, but it would have had the same feeling. We were like, dang, you're taking these guys really high. Ellie De La Cruz is a very volatile player. Like you said, he is one of those guys where it's like in three years, he could not be in, you know, in the majors at all. He could maybe be in Japan or yeah. he could be a first round talent because it's very, um, it's very O'Neill Cruz-like, except it's much better uh, plate discipline skills. I mean, there there are big strikeouts and stuff like that, but it's not but as... he doesn't, uh, like, strike out 50% of the time against lefties or whatever it is. Yeah, so, I mean, he's fascinating, and it's 21-year-olds, but, like, the prospects I have in this range, so now if you kind of put them together, you've got Ellie, Volpe, Walker, and Lawler all in the top 60. They're all on the precipice of coming up. The Diamondbacks have already talked about midseason Jordan Lawler is a possibility. Ellie De La Cruz, I think we can just visually see as a possibility. Um, and Anthony Volpe, you know, they're saying they're going to give him a spot or an opportunity to try to win a gig, though it looks like Oswald Peraza. So the first set of prospects, you know, are all guys that look like they are going to get playing time this year. And I think that makes it more palatable to stomach, where, like you said, Oh my God! You're taking Ellie over Nolan Arenado. Like that's where you can kind of stomach it. I don't know. It's. I think it's. I think it's pretty it's close. Okay. I. I'm. It's really, really tough. That's the. That's the toughest part. But I think it's pretty close. That I think you could almost get whatever you want for Ellie De La Cruz in a dynasty league right now. Uh, what do you mean? Like, I mean, not maybe not like uh, Bobby Witt. Like you know, maybe not a top ten guy. But if you're talking about somebody who's thirty years or older. Goldschmidt, Arenado, um, yeah, that type of thing. Like a, I think you can maybe even get a Mookie for him. Like, I think you could push for it. I mean, you might have to add to it maybe, but like, you have to add to it. But Ellie is like, Ellie's hot. 
You know, he's like, dynamic. I mean, he, he's yeah. a and that that's a you know a word that everyone hates. Like, what does that even mean? Ellie De La Cruz inside the top ten of my top ten might be the most electric of all those players. Twenty eight homers, forty seven stolen bases, hit three hundred average. Yeah, yeah, lower OBP than a guy like Lawler. I'd point out. You know, Lawler was over four hundred. Ellie was around big strikeout rates. And big strikeout rates. That's exactly but, right. But, you know, the one thing that's missing for me and makes me feel a little bit blind when I'm doing prospect analysis is this sort of the stack cast data. And, um, you know, I hate to bring up uh, Toro again, but like Toro, I think that the market showed us a little bit that uh, Toro wasn't as good a prospect as maybe the stats look like when he was traded for Rafael Montero. Yeah. Was it? What was that deal? Uh, Rafael Montero and Kendall Graveman? For Abraham Toro. Yeah, that, that sounds it. right. Yeah, that sounds so right. It's like a rental reliever and then a, a throw in reliever. Montero ended up good, but like that's not what a really good prospect gets traded for. That's when you sort of be like, oh, the bad ball stats must not be good. That's not true for Ellie. Like I've heard of, I've heard about them. I haven't I haven't seen them, but I've heard that his like top end exit velocities are really amazing. So, yeah. And the more that kind it, of is, I think O'Neill Cruz is the kind of is the comp a little bit. And I th- a little bit more refined maybe yeah no and i think it's 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 sometimes it's lazy but sometimes we have to just live in like lazy comp era because he's a tall skinny guy six foot five 200 uh 158 strikeouts he had last year he did push two levels but he hit 300 at both levels which is phenomenal doesn't walk in an insane amount but i mean again the counting stats are loud and crazy he simmered down a little bit at double a which i would expect but you know, he's got the makings of a 30-30 guy, and that's why he is a top 10 prospect. And and those are the guys that I'm the most uh, stubborn about in any dynasty format. I am stubborn about trading off top 10 guys. Everybody else, I'm probably a lot more, I'm probably a lot more loose than people would expect as a prospect guy to trade off anybody outside, usually the top 10, because I think I can replenish, but there's a reason these guys are the top 10. It's the elite of elite. And that's also why they're really high on uh, dynasty lists. That's why they sit there. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Um, a couple other guys that uh, DVR had put in here that were interesting. Well, hold on. Before you get there, I need to do yeah, this yeah. one real quick because I think those are lower down. At 65, you have a guy who had 26 plate appearances above Able. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is super hot right now in terms of, you know, people talking about him. He's got all the helium in the world. Uh, everyone's super excited about him. There are these breathless tweets of, oh, you know, no one this age has done this at that level since Bob, since Mike Trout or whatever BS it is. But Jackson Churio with the Brewers is 18 years old and 
all of the good numbers that we're looking at almost all happened in A ball. Even high A was kind of boring. I mean, 119 WRC plus is not what you would think a top, top prospect had in, in high A. And then double A was, I'm not even going to bring up what the numbers were, but it was only 26 plate appearances. This yeah, smacks good. a little bit to me. Like I, I was really into Hedbert Perez last year. Mm. Yeah. And there are all these guys that an A ball put up nasty numbers and you're just like, can't even understand them. You're just looking at them on fan graphs, just laughing. There's that meme looking at the data and laughing. Like that's what I think of when I think of like these A ball guys. Convince me that Jackson Trio is not one of these helium A ball guys. Well, there's always a possibility that this isn't going to pan out, but there, the couple reasons behind it is he was the youngest at every single stop. Um, one yeah. of the big things that I've, I've talked about a lot that just, and I talked about in the last episode, it's just so fascinating. Like this guy was only supposed to play rookie ball last year. I hope everybody understands that he was here in an extended spring training to wait and do a holdover extended spring training, by the way, for people, it starts in April and it goes all the way to rookie ball starts, which is usually like uh, June, like mid June or something like that, or maybe early July. And these guys just sit in the camps and they just train and they work out and stuff I like don't that. Think they get paid. Uh, I I don't think they get paid. Um, I mean, they probably they get, get food and, and, and housing, I think. Maybe. Yeah, they probably get very little food. Uh, there's a couple teams that do it really well, by the way. The Rangers and Royals, who I live right next to, they have built their own complex. If so anybody you kind of live know. at the complex. Yeah, yeah, I should take a picture if you guys have never seen it. It's really cool. They It's essentially an apartment building that they built and it's got their logo on it. And they let all of their guys who are in complex and whatever capacity stay there, which I think it's like is like a so dorm. Cool. It's like it's a total life. dorm. The, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I mentioned this when Josh Young was rehabbing last year, his very first game back. This is the most dorm thing of all. He um, in the stadium, like I'm behind home plate. If you look straight out, you can see the Rangers facility. Four or five of his friends had big white flags and they were up on a um they were up on like a balcony, a balcony and they were yeah. waving the flags as he was up to a bat. And I have a picture of them doing that. It was the most boring <laughs> thing possible. These guys literally actually walk out the stadium and just walk across the street and they go over and they walk into their building. I actually ran into Kumar Rocker uh, during complex. I got out of my car it's and he was just fun there at night, dude. It, it is a crazy yeah. place. It's a wild place, but it is very college atmosphere. All of that to say that like that's cool because those teams really take care of their players in at least one extra way where they give them housing. A lot of these other guys are not given that opportunity. So take all of that. So into Churio's 18 years old. He's 17. I think at that time he's right. in extended spring training. He's putting up 110 plus EVs a day yeah. over there. And they're starting to tweet about it. The team says, we're going to be a little bit aggressive and we're going to put this kid who's 17 years old. We don't see that a lot. Here's a perspective. Marco Luciano when he was 17, he rocked, but it was in complex league. This team said, all right, 17-year-old, we're going to push you to A-ball. And he absolutely dominated A-ball, like dominated mm -hmm. A-ball. 324, 12 homers, 10 stolen bases, um, a 600 slug. That is dominating A-ball, a place that he shouldn't have been. Next step up, the team says, all right, let's send you to high A. Does he dominate? No. Does he play fine? But he's playing. Yes. Now he's playing like people drafted out of college. He's playing college guys. That's exactly right. High A guys would start coming in there. More advanced pitching. The pitching change you get from rookie ball and A ball to, to high A is different. Now he comes in. He only hits 252. Yeah, it's not great. Eight homers, though. Four stolen bases. The strikeouts are still not insane. Strikeout improved, though. 31 yeah. over 31 games. 
Then the team says, let's give you a taste right at the end as the season ends. And we give you double A, double A, where he stunk. He 18 stunk. years old. 18 years old. This guy is putting up 110 EVs all across the board. Beautiful yeah. swings and is aggressively sent. That says something. Now, do the Brewers have like the best developmental system as far as what they've done with their prospects? Well, no, but at the same time, this guy met every test as the youngest player at every single level. And I think that says a lot, but he's dangerous and he's risky because he did end the season really bad. There's so much hype put to him um, as an 18 year old. And he is only, I believe, one of three teenagers inside my top 100. And the other two, uh, well, actually only one of them has potential major league, which we'll talk about here shortly. The other guy is Drew Jones. So it's like him and Drew Jones are the only teenagers that sniff that. He's dangerous and he's not a guy that I'm probably looking at if I'm in win now mode. But if we're talking about like- That's a pretty value, aggressive ranking for Drew Jones, huh? I mean, like what yeah, have you seen of him? It's just- Oh, I mean, uh, he was the most dominant high school player. I mean, what did we see professionally? Unfortunately, nothing because he got right. a shoulder hurt in BP with the Diamondbacks. But I mean, that was one of the most- impressive high school seasons hitting well over 500 countless homers stolen bases um one of the more advanced batters i and you also look at like what jackson holiday is doing and just think like scout after scout like drew jones over jackson holiday and everybody likes jackson holiday now and some outlets are going over that so yeah it's aggressive but when you're looking at like these 18 year olds and you're looking in a three-year window Jackson Trial might actually help. Might actually get there. Like he, as a 19 year old, he could hit the majors in his development. Otherwise, what you have on your hand is you have the number one and maybe number two prospect in all of baseball in one or yeah. two years, in and two you could pull off a yeah. trade that you just did, like Jordan Lawler. You got reinforcements. Yeah. Not that you want to draft guys to like trade, but I you do. also know, yeah, you do. <laughs> but, but you did. You having Jordan Lawler, you had a perceived top at least ten prospect that you could get a haul for. If you were to invest in Churio or Drew Jones, obviously that's a really high commitment, but maybe you're a guy that's like, eh, I'm going to just draft a team that has all really young up and coming guys. Those are golden assets in those leagues. As soon as a team is trying to sell off, you're going to get all the stuff. You're going to get your starting pitcher. You're going to get your closer. And maybe you're going to get a serviceable outfielder. I don't know what your trade ended up looking like, but you know, there's an extra value that's put in there, but I totally agree and knew that Churio was going to stand out. I'm actually surprised I didn't see more about it, but you know, that was my path of where it goes. It's like, you want hard hit data. He's got it. And he was the youngest at every single level and meeting the test outside of double a is just like really impressive. Like how many guys do that? And I know it's tropey, but it's like how many guys really do what he did. The danger is going to be, if he falls off, we're all going to have like Jason Dominguez in our minds. I think of a guy that got skyrocket and never lived up. If Churio struggles, I think he is going to plummet lists early on. And I, think it might be a mistake in a buying opportunity early on in the year. Mm. Yeah, we'll because he could it. have a good second half and then all of a sudden everything's good again. You know, double A. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine starting He's in a still young training? at double A? <laughs> yeah, he will still be probably one of the youngest players at double A if they put him back there. I do think there's a chance they could they throw him at high A and they could start mm. him back at high A. I wouldn't discount that. One way I will look to is when minor league spring training starts up, these guys are put in groups and they're put in their level groups. 
So like mm. he will be put in either high A or double A and he will play with that team versus other teams. And that sometimes is a telling like, oh, this is where he's going to start in the minor leagues. Also, because you don't want to group him with the double A's and then at the end of spring be like, oh, you're going to high A because then exactly, that's a right? good motion, right? You want them to play with like their teammates and stuff like that. So it is very telling once the um, minor league spring training portion starts in like mid-March, which I will report back when I can, that like that might tell us exactly where he is. Um all right, you want to go to these uh, these other guys that DVR had on there? Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah. They're interesting in uh, Miguel Vargas being number one, who I have. I, I'm continuously moving up. I've always really loved Miguel Vargas. I have at 93 right now. I think there's room to grow for him to keep going up, especially with starting at second base. And the other one is Kyle Manzardo, which I think DVR was very happy about, that uh, I have him inside the top 120 sometimes it feels a little bit aggressive and even where I have him because after um, I told you guys in the last episode, I got to spend time with him um, like two weeks ago. I got to spend a couple hours with him and he's a really great guy. He's a fascinating guy. And the news I told you guys about that, he's going to pick up a third base club, or at least the Rays have asked him to pick up a third base club and he'll work on in spring training opens up some opportunities. But at the same time, when I hear that, like he's polar opposite to me and Miguel Vargas, like Miguel Vargas will start in the majors and might be a huge boon. Manzardo potentially picking up another glove and the guys that they have signed as far as contracts go and the roster construction really is like watering down my thought of Kyle Manzardo playing this year. I really don't know if that's a possibility if they want to have, you know, tutelage him at third base or, or just be more flexible. This might be an entire year of just minor league adjustments, you know, making good contact rates and defensively learning some other spots, which kind of hurts his value from a this year perspective. But what's your take on uh, Manzardo and Miguel Vargas? Yeah. You know, Manzardo, uh, I love uh, the stats. I mean, just the combination of uh, near 300 ISO with mid uh, you know, sort of like 15% strikeout rate. I just, that's uh, so sexy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, if I saw, if it was any other organization and I saw 122 plate appearances, 22 years old, uh, just had a 148 WRC plus and double A, like I'd be like, this guy is going to play a little bit of double A and the rest in the major leagues this year. That would be my guess, you know? Uh, one of those start the season, and if he rockets, if he's if he if he's killing it down there, then why have him down there? I just agree with you. This team construction. The, the problem is, um, I think that there is a pecking order, and you might know something about this, but there is a pecking order where it's kind of uh, it may seem uh, silly, but um, it's meaningful to the prospects themselves, uh, the the players themselves, is that you get your shot, mm. right? So Vidal Brujan may not be amazing, but he was the right guy at the right time, got a shot, you know? And like, I think he's failed enough that like, uh, uh, I think he's failed enough that, um, they know what they have. Yeah. So then somebody else can get a shot. Right. I mean, yeah, Brujan, I'm not saying it's like the doors closed on Brujan, but like he got a shot and walls got a shot. So the next people who are going to get a shot for me are Jonathan Aranda and Curtis Mead. Um, and neither of them, I mean, Mead is probably a decent third baseman, uh, but Aranda is not really a great defensive player. And so he's going to end up uh, probably near first or in that first corner grouping. 
So if you if you talk about that first corner grouping for the Rays this year, you're talking about Yandy Diaz, uh, Harold Ramirez, Isaac Paredes, Jonathan Aranda. I mean, it's a long a list. lot of guys. Yeah, yeah that so is a long it's, list. Just, it's just tough for him. I think for uh, uh, Vargas, um, you know, I think that there's a they did sign David Peralta, which changes things a little bit. Uh, but they also had their uh, manager saying, you know, I think I'm going to do uh, Margus, Vargas at second. Which is huge, uh, which is huge for them. They've also said that they were going to maybe do Mookie Betts at second this year, which he already qualifies on Yahoo at second base. And yeah. with any more games, if he gets enough, all of a sudden you might walk into 2024. If you have the bigger platforms of 20 games needed, if Miguel, if he does get there, that does change. I, I feel like Miguel is relatively safe, regardless of what they're doing in the outfield. I was never a big Trace Thompson guy. James Outman, um, we'll see where the opportunity is. But like, I just have a hard time believing they could keep Chris Taylor off the field. And I don't think they want to stunt Miguel Vargas. So that's what's so different about these two guys. Everybody wants Kyle Manzardo to succeed this year. But I think it's not really going to be a payoff. Um, do, do you think on... When you look at that rank, knowing what you know about the Rays, are you comfortable with Cal Manzardo? It's like a top 115 overall dynasty player in your mind. The bar is pretty high for first baseman, you know, um, and that's why in traditional rankings, uh, you probably won't see Manzardo as high, right? No, 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 no. Because they, they don't care about your fantasy numbers and they realize there's not that much uh, defensive value for first baseman. And then the bar is so high, you actually have to, you have to be like six to 8% better than league average to be average at first base, you know? Um, so th- that's a tough one. Also knowing uh, kind of how the organization uh, treated Nate Lowe. Is that relevant? I don't know. Nate Lowe had pretty good numbers in the minor leagues. It seemed like he was going to be the first baseman. They needed a first baseman. They let him try it a couple times and they just traded him away. But again, the flexibility, that was the one thing I think is interesting is like they are, they believed. I mean, again, he told me. Yeah. I mean, if he could actually play some third, I think that would actually (laughs) change things. I think uh, they love guys they can move around. I think that helps the potential idea of like traditional first baseman. That's why I found it such an interesting tidbit when he told me, because it might open up even the traditional eye that, oh, the team themselves want to experiment and see if they can move him beyond here. Because the talk has always been, well, he's just like a first base. Like he's just first base only, not even yeah. outfield or anything like that. And I don't think that's the case. He's kind of very big, like um, very lumberjacky. He has like a lumberjack feel, but this is a guy that, you know, they might've even wanted as a second baseman. But you bring up the great point is the first tries are going to go to Aranda and probably Curtis Mead. And that really, you're going to have a lot to have a lot of injuries or a lot of roster movement for Kyle Manzardo to be able to break that this year, where I think they would just want him to succeed in the minors. That also, I think, leaves fantasy people a little bit susceptible. If he continues at his rate, and if people just don't understand or they're not, you know, I know you guys have talked about him, but like 327 he hit across two levels last year. Um, which was phenomenal, hitting over 320 at both of those levels. Strikeout numbers, low. Contact numbers, high. And he had over 20 homers. If he does that again, it's going to be a top five guy in fantasy. I mean, you're just not going to be able – it doesn't matter what position he plays at that point. Because, I mean, it's it's the same stuff that I like out of Miguel Vargas, right? And Miguel Vargas did not have the same power, you yeah. know? Uh, I love Miguel Vargas's low strikeout rate, his high walk rates. I love his his 200 ISOs, 
but sometimes, you know, I've said, you know, I think I said in the last show, sometimes the 200 ISO is not all batted ball power. Some of that um, uh, can be legs. And he obviously has some legs. Uh, you know, it's only 50 plate appearances, uh, but a 106 max EV in the major leagues uh, leaves me kind of uh, wondering what the raw power is like uh, for, for Miguel Vargas. I mean, the, the Fangraphs uh, grade is uh, only 45 45. So is this going to be more of a hit tool guy in your, in your estimation, a guy who's going to hit 280 with 20 homers? Is that is that the Miguel Vargas you're expecting? Yeah, I mean, I'm expecting I'm expecting a guy that is going to be able to tap into 20 on the power is going to be able to be at a prime position at second base and has a really high floor as far as um, strikeout and and walkability. Like that, those are things that I want, like those high floor guys. I think some of those like, and that's a, that's a crazy battle, by the way, we were talking about like Ellie where you've got incredible ceiling, you know, the, the sky's mm. the limit type of guys, but there's a lot of volatility. There's something to me about those players that, have those really high floors, especially when it's built around contact and not a lot of strikeouts that it's like their ability to tap in, I think is at any moment. Um, Paul Goldschmidt was a prime example of a guy that was never trying to hit homers. And then as he just developed in the majors, he continuously was able to hit for more power and shut everybody up with his weird swing. And those are those type. Mainzardo kind of has that feel. Uh, Vargas's pull rates aren't really huge, right? So, you know, that's, I think Goldie's an interesting pull because, Goldie learned to pull the ball um, and that's, you know, pulling the ball selectively while keeping his oppo approach has been, I think the big uh, boon to his career. So Vargas uh, adds some pulling to this because, um, you know, last year, 37% pull rate, that's below average. Um, so if he can, if he can put together his good contact with, uh, with pulling the ball in the air some. Um, yeah. I mean, like I, I'm always looking for, um, I'm always looking for Mookie bets. Mm. I'm always looking for Mookie bets because uh, I want my guys to work out. And so I want high, I want low bus rates and I don't yeah. normally uh, roster Ellie de la Cruz guys, but in auto new um, it doesn't take that much. Like you, you just put a dollar or two on the guy and you keep him for a while. That's all it takes. It takes being maybe a week early, you know, on, on the hype, you know, um, so it doesn't, it's not the same as certain dynasty leagues. You have to draft the guy in the prospect draft, which happens at the end of the year and you have to take Ellie one, one. And like, you know, I think I'd be more likely to take a Vargas or a Lawler or somebody where I'm like, he doesn't strike out 35% of the time. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, so sure. I'm always looking for Mookie Betts and Miguel Vargas has a little bit of that Mookie Betts thing with the low strikeout rates, the high walk rates and the, and the good power, but not great power. Uh, let's finish with this. Um, we've got uh, some fun episodes on the Tuesdays we're going to be doing, and we're going to be talking about um, redraft prospects. But I did want to hit this. I mentioned that there were three teenagers that were on the top 100, which I know is a wild thing to think about. One of those is being given the opportunity to break camp in the rotation, which is absurd. And it's Andrew Painter. The th three of the most fascinating pitching prospects in my mind even for this year, we can have a bigger conversation about it, but from just a overall dynasty perspective and as far as their rank goes, 
are Grayson Rodriguez, Andrew Painter, and then I'm even going to throw in Brandon Fott. A lot more conversation. I've been talking about him. Let me since throw Ricky Tideman in there. R- Ricky Tideman. I have Ricky Tideman over Yuri Perez. I'm so glad you did because I love him. I really, really love Ricky Tideman. And he's also just knocking on the door. Like that That rotation has like Mitch White for floor, but in terms of ceiling, I think Nate Pearson's not giving them anymore. So if they need ceiling, like if Barrios doesn't come back, they're going to put Tiedemann in there and see if he can be their number two. Yeah, he's been very, I've comped like, he's very like Shane McClanahan, like just like just pumps his own, pumps his own. I love him. Brandon Fott led the minors in strikeouts. Um, there's a fascinating, someone tweeted this out. When you look at last year, pitchers that went six or more innings, it was like Kyle Harrison was number two at like five. And um, <laughs> and Brandon Fott had like 16 games where he went six or more. He was oh, he's phenomenal ready. the whole year. That's, that's important. That's really important because uh, I've been looking at, um, innings uh per appearance and batter's face per appearance and they're really low in the minor leagues so with these <laughs> guys a lot then, of guys who face like 10 batters per appearance in the minor league and that's not brandon fought grayson rodriguez and andrew painter are my top two pitchers in my prospect ranks and my top two prospect pitchers in dynasty and grayson looks like he's got a rotation spot given to him um unless you know he fumbles it and andrew painter is going to be given an opportunity as a 19 year old which is absurd so i'm just curious at your take um, maybe even ranking these guys as much as you want to with Grayson, Andrew Painter, Ricky Tideman, and uh, Brandon Fott. Uh, any thoughts on any rank? I'm a little biased against changeup guys, actually. Uh, I, I'm nervous about them. They are really tough to model. They're really kind of tough to see. You see the game is going away from the changeup. It's, you know, they throw it less and uh, try to think of who are the uh, most elite starting pitchers with changeups. And you say like that Gossman, Sandy. Sandy. It's not that many. Yeah, I'm like you know? Sandy, Sandy, uh, Sandy. Yeah, yeah. Gossman's a, a splitter. So if you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, put those in, then you're 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 looking at Sandy. So, um, and Sandy had a little bit of struggle at the beginning of his career too. So if you just want someone to hit the ground running, I love the idea of uh, an elite fastball and elite breaking ball, which is Andrew Painter. Okay, so, so you're, I you're think big, I, are you Andrew Painter over Grayson Rodriguez? I maybe I you know the, that's that's those are I am an inherently biased person, but uh, that's what I would love to have is uh, like think about like Strider McClant like a lot of these guys that hit the ground running they're young they have really big fastballs and a, and a great breaking ball you know and this is a breaking ball league so um, it, it's picking the nits though because I'm not going to say I don't like Bryson Rodriguez as a prospect I have seen his stuff numbers they're good so. You know, I, I'm they're great, you know, so I'm I'm in, I'm into him. Uh, but Painter, um, maybe just a nose ahead. And then um, uh, Tiedemann and who was the fourth? And Brandon Fott. Oh, Brandon Fott's a little bit further down the list. But I mean, he was the most dominant pitcher in the minors last year. And it's hard to argue across the board with. Um, I, I just feel like the D-backs, if we're talking about sort of this year, then that's what I'm talking about. Um, because I think long term, I might like Grayson better because he has a larger arsenal. Right now, I'm really sure that Andrew Painter has a great fastball and great breaking ball. You know, I don't know about third and fourth pitches, whereas Grayson, I, I'll give him the credit. I think he has a full arsenal. Um, with uh, with Fott, I just am worried that uh, the D-backs have to run through some options in that rotation first. Um, you know, I like really, really like Ryan Nelson better than most people. Um, and so I think Nelson's going to get that shot over Jameson. Um, maybe Jameson heads to the pen because at some point they need one of their starting pitchers to head to the pen because that pen is bad. It's yeah. maybe the, one of the worst in baseball this year. And this is a team that is starting to get close to contention. 
So if they start to win some games, they are going to push somebody uh, that used to be a starter into the bullpen, I think. Because you're talking about what, what's their worst problem? Jordan, they need shortstop, Jordan Larlar. Uh, that's their worst problem offensively. If once they get Jordan Larlar, uh, like, uh, I feel like this team could compete as it is. You know, and a big power, I, I like, like, I like Thomas, guy in Corbin Carroll. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they need a they need a bullpen, yeah, and um, and Nelson's going to move up, and then maybe they get Jamison a shot before Fott. So if you're talking about sort of pecking order and and who's going to get the chance, I feel like Nelson gets the fifth man job out of spring training. Jamison gets the the first shot if somebody gets hurt, and Fott only comes up if somebody gets hurt for like the year or if there's another injury, which obviously happens all the time, but. Uh, you know, they have one through six right now with some young guys in there. So I'm not, I'm just not sure how many innings fought we'll get in the major league this year. And that's a big question. Any last thoughts on Ricky uh, Tiedemann? I think Tiedemann is going to play in the major leagues this year. I think uh, I really like, um, you know, his, his slider. Um, I want to know more about his command. Um, he got a pretty poor uh, present value 20 command um, from Fangrass when they looked at him. Um, but it's, you know, in the numbers, it hasn't been that bad. Um, so I, I, but I do think that they, they kind of need him. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, the, the blue Jays right now have Kikuchi versus white for fifth. Whoever loses that is probably in the pen. So that means Tiedemann's the sixth starter in Toronto. And if the opportunity comes up, 29 walks over 78 innings with 117 strikeouts last year, had a barely over two ERA over 18 starts, pound the zone, strikes everybody out. He is a fascinating guy who went uh, three levels as well. He went from low A all the way up to double A. And in double A, he was his worst ERA, which was two four five. It was a two four five mm-hmm. ERA, striking out 14 in four games. Um, He's going to start at double A and next thing you know it, he might be in that rotation. It's really interesting. And in a couple of weeks, um, especially with camps, camps are starting up on here on Wednesday. They're going to be going on obviously through all spring. We're going to just get a lot more information. We're going to get notes and nuggets of guys doing this and teams doing this, that it's going to even be a better time for us to dig into prospects that are going to help in redraft for this year. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks and uh, in the next couple of Tuesdays when we're doing these prospect dynasty ones, I think we're going to focus on hitting prospects and uh, pitching prospects. So we're going to be a little prospect heavy for a couple of weeks and we might alter some things that people can look out for. But if you guys want, you guys can check out the dynasty ranks. You can leave a wonderfully kind, nice comment to me to make me feel so nice. And I'll smile. You know, you can make me smile if you welcome him to the rates and barrels family. That's right. Do something. Everyone actually said very, very nice things. Uh, if you don't already have a uh, um, a sign up and a login and an account, you can do that. Just go over to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. $2 a month for the first year is going to get you rocking. You can get my stuff and you can get all of Eno's fantastic articles and everybody's. It's really cool. The app is great. You can listen to the podcast there and you can check all of it out and support. So athletic, theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Go and sign up today. And hopefully we get news of uh, baby baby DVR baby VR coming here soon. So we're we're all thinking about Derek, and hopefully we're are, uh, making everything uh, positive for you guys. You guys are going to have Al and Eno later in the week. And that's going to wrap everything up. Thank you guys so much for listening and putting up with me. Eno, thank you so much for all the talk, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Rates and Barrels. Thanks for listening.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.